0: Thank you, worship team. I love that song. It's the gospel. It's why we're even here. <laughs> wow. Well, good morning to you. It's good to see you all here. You braved another wonderful summer day. It's not really braving, it's just, you're here. Well today we're gonna continue our series of serving we started last week called Serving the Body. You know I find that people serve the Lord for many reasons. Some are good, some are not so good. There are some who mistakenly serve the Lord out of some legalistic idea that if I don't serve I don't go to heaven, we know that's not true. There's some that know they'll go to heaven, but they serve out of a sense of, well, if I don't serve, God will be upset and my life will be miserable. Um, There are some that serve because they want to be thought maybe as holy as someone that God approves, and maybe their friends serve, so they want to serve with their friends and be part of the group. A little peer pressure going on. Um, There may even be some of you that are serving right now because one of us pastors or one of us put enough guilt on you and twisted your arm far enough behind your back that you're serving. Uh, None of these really are godly reasons to serve. Um, In fact, some of us might be serving out of habit. We've always served. We made a decision to serve a long time ago but we may still forget and maybe we should ask ourselves, why am I still serving rather than habit? Is there something behind my habit that would help motivate me on those days that habit is not quite carrying me far enough? I mean, even all of us who are serving, and for those that are, I say thank you very much, but some of us are serving and have those days, don't we? When we really don't feel like teaching that class or ushering or working, in whatever ministry we're in. Um, But the only reason we're here is because we just think nobody else will be there to cover. So we stick it out. I don't think that's really the right way to be serving. Um, But all of us can fight bad emotions and motives from time to time. But I'm hoping today that I can show you something out of our passage today that'll give you motivation on those days when your self-motivation is just not quite enough because there is a godly reason to serve. We serve obviously because of love for our savior, thanksgiving, we're grateful for what he's done, Uh, but I think what Jesus will share with us today will maybe transform the way you look at how you serve one another in this body. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We'll begin in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right And the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right. Come you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. And you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord. When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you help us see even in this passage that really is talking about your second coming. You're talking about how you arrive on this planet as king. But before you send the sheep and the goats away, you wanna clarify what it is you're rewarding and what it is you commend. May we see these things and see the nugget of truth behind it that will motivate us even on our darkest day or most stubborn day or most self-centered day that will get our eyes off us and onto you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this account of the sheep and the goats um, in our passage appears in no other gospel. I believe one of the reasons is that Matthew his primary focus was to clarify and show Christ not only as Messiah, but as coming King. And because of that, he puts greater emphasis on the second coming of Christ than did the other gospel writers. And this is the scene that surrounds the nugget that Jesus produces. What's going on when Jesus said what he said? Well, we want to take a look at this because we here at Valley Bible Church believes that Christ will be coming back for the saints, but he will meet them in the air, and those that are alive and those who are even dead will meet him bodily in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. We will meet Christ in the air. His feet never touch the ground. We go to be with him, and we get to celebrate the Supper of the Lamb. And that supper of the Lamb, you know who serves? Christ. You think Peter felt bad when Jesus was washing his feet. I don't know how I'm going to feel when Jesus is serving me that meal. I'll just be thankful to be there, (laughs) to tell you the truth. Well, so Jesus comes after this a second time, and it says it follows according to uh, Matthew and according to Revelation, that Jesus comes right after seven years of horrible trial and tribulation. The pouring out of God's wrath on this earth, which he has drugged his righteous ones, the saints of the church away, so they don't have to experience that. But, at this time, Jesus does not come back as the slain lamb of God. He comes back in power and an authority, is king, and Lord of all. He's not coming back wimpy. Those that want to see the nice, mild Jesus come back, this is not the scene. This is not the mild Jesus. This is who he's really been all along, king and Lord of the universe. He comes back, and when his feet get there, we see as a scene, and there's some proceedings, so let's move through it quickly, because this sets the stage of what Jesus even said about service. Now I know some of you are gonna say, what does this passage have to do with service? Well, I'm telling you, it has a lot. So let's just move through the scene and see what Jesus was telling us as he got here. When Jesus arrived, it says there's a courtroom scene, something judicial goes on. Who's the judge? Well, It says the sovereign judge is Jesus Christ himself. This is no partial judge. This is no biased judge. This is no crooked courtroom. Nobody gets to get through if they pay enough money. And no saved saint will be lost. This is a final court. There are no appeals. He doesn't need any more information from us no no evidence, he's got it all, he's omniscient and he will render a decision and we will be affected not by a jury of one's peers so we're not going to be evaluated, these people aren't going to be evaluated of what their neighbors thought, this is what Jesus thinks and Jesus told us that this is what his job is according to John chapter 5 verse 22 for not even the father judges anyone but he has given all judgment to the son God the father is going to watch this scene Jesus is the judge. And just like Larry spoke about last week, he came to earth as son of man. He laid aside all of his deity, all of his claim to titles, all of his claim to authority. And what did he say his name was? The son of man. That was his favorite name for himself. Why? Because he associated with us. He wanted us to say, this is the son of man. This is a human. This is one that lived life like we do. Yet differently. See, he wanted us to see not his deity, but his humiliation, his sacrifice, his love and holiness that he wanted to give to all mankind. Now, one of the reasons he claimed a son of man and not king right from the beginning is because he's smart. If he had this much trouble with the Jews and the Romans as it was, what would have been the problem if he would have said, I'm going to show up and tell everybody I'm God? I'm king, and I'm in charge. Well, I think his ministry would have probably been a lot shorter. But he's smart. He knows that's not what God called him to do. Plus, he had laid aside all of his deity. He came as a humble servant. But these aren't the titles he will claim when he comes again. He will be king of kings and lord of lords. This was a temporary thing, and it fit his coming. His first advent was one of humility. His second is one of authority and judgment. Now, he told clearly, this is the first time, by the way, I don't know if you know this, the disciples had never heard this talk from Jesus before. This is the first time that we hear this passage in in Matthew chapter 25 as Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane saying his final words to his disciples. This is the first time that Jesus has ever made it clear that this son of man is equivalent to the king. He has now declared himself to his disciples. He is the king. He came the first time not to judge. He came to rescue. But the second time there will be judgment. Well, what's the time this is going to happen? Well, the time of judgment will be when the Son of Man comes back to earth. And it says he will come in his glory and all the angels with him. We don't know the exact time of this, but according to Matthew and Revelation, we know it immediately follows the tribulation. And we believe, and we teach, and we believe the Bible teaches that saints won't be here for that tribulation. People who know Christ now escape those who don't know him remain. Now these might be people who will be eligible to be called sheep or goats. See, all the saints are gone. And when we get here, when Christ comes back, whoever survives the tribulation will be the ones divided. Now, when we see this, he's not coming alone. He comes with the armies of heaven, according to Revelation He comes also according to Colossians 3, 4. Did you know something? This is cool. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. How is he revealed? He's revealed to all of earth. Then you also, you saints, will be revealed with him in glory. He brings you and I back. We come back to rule and reign with Christ out of heaven. We meet all the saints that are left on earth, but we won't be left out of this scene. We will be watching this scene. You will see it, but you won't be part of the proceedings. Well, let's go on. The location of this scene. Well, it says, when the Son of Man comes, comes where? Comes to earth in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So, where is that throne going to be? Well, Thank you. Isaiah, 2,700 years earlier, told us that the place of this throne in Isaiah 9-7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or peace, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forever. And before Mary was even pregnant, the angel Gabriel said this in Luke chapter 1, and behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him what throne? The throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. This is the kingdom we're gonna be a part of. The one that has no end. And where's it gonna be? Well, David's throne was in Jerusalem and that's where this throne will be. So for those of you that always wanted to see Jerusalem on the Holy Land, and you may not get there in this life, you will, it will be right at this scene, you will come back to, with Jesus to Jerusalem. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 14, it says when Jesus is, this is why we know he hasn't come back. When, his, when he comes back and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, that mountain will be split in half. Anybody seen that happen yet? Nope. Well, in fact, the angels told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And how was that? Well, he was in a body. He was with the men. He was eating fish. He was right along. So if he comes back, he's coming back in a body. So we know it's going to be a real Christ on a real throne, in a real place called Jerusalem, and it will be a real reign for a thousand years and forever. This is a real Jesus coming back. This is not a spook or a ghost, this is Jesus in bodily form. Well, who's before the court? It says all nations are before the court. Every little village and hamlet and countryside and inn and lane, everybody that's still alive at the end of this great tribulation period will be brought to this courtroom. And it says that the judge will separate them. Well, it's interesting to me that at this point in time, he's going to usher all believers that are on his right, I'll go this way, he's going to usher them into the kingdom of heaven. But all those that are unbelievers are going to immediately not pass go but will be removed from earth they're done and it's interesting that we see this just as physical world death in our world today when anybody dies that is the end of their spiritual journey on earth there is no second chances in the afterlife there's no praying them out of purgatory there's no praying for the dead that even though they died a wretch we can pray them into heaven that's not true The Bible does not teach that at all. Death is the end of this life and people will be judged at that point. In the same way, these people brought before that are still alive, the ones who are declared ungodly, unsaved, do not know Christ. They do not pass that point. Their decision will be final. Their rejection of Christ is firm. There's no more chances. That's interesting when we see this. Jesus knows his sheep. Did you know that? There's no, he's not difficult going, well, were you really? No, John 10, 27 tells us this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. Did you know he knows you this morning? Amen. Not that he's guessing about you. He knows you. If you're his sheep, he knows you by name. In fact, he knows everything about you. Your good points, your bad points. He knows that you were a rebellious sheep when he bought you. And in fact, he knows how many hairs you have left that are decreasing every day. Every time you shampoo your hair, you go, What's this? He's aware of every piece, he loves you. But you know, as as we have sheep and goats, don't be so flattered to be called a sheep because God didn't call us sheep as a point of flattery. Sheep are what? Dumb, dirty, and helpless. And that's what we are. We were dumb, dirty, and helpless. But he rescued us. He rescued us. Goats, what are they? They're ornery. They're rambunctious. In fact, shepherds at this time knew that you had to separate sheep and goats or they wouldn't rest well together. The goats were not friendly to the sheep. Jesus says, look, in the same way that I know how to separate sheep and goats. Now, I bet everybody in here without an agriculture degree could separate a sheep from a goat. I think, right? If I put two animals up here, you could tell the sheep from the goat, right? It's gonna be easier than that for Jesus because it's those who he knows and those who don't know him, period, period. Well, what we also know here that we follow with Jesus is telling us about the works that the sheep did versus the works that those who don't know him the goats did. And it says those that knew him says, I was hungry you fed me. I was thirsty you gave me something to drink. Jesus wants us to make sure he know, we know that the reason we're sheep is not because of these works. We don't become sheep by doing these works. They're simply the evidence of being a sheep, not the cause of you being a sheep. You will never become a sheep by philanthropic good works. It will not happen. Even works in the church, even godly works. Did you know, this is one of the scary things. There are probably Sunday school teachers on this planet right now that won't go to heaven. Because they know here. They have not accepted here. My brother is one of these kinds of people. He could teach a Sunday school class, but he rejects Christ. He knows enough. He even taught Sunday school at one time. I pray for him. I want him to know the God his brain knows about. What's the the entry point? It says, come, what? Blessed of my father. There is the clue to this whole scene. Those who are blessed of the Father are the ones who are the sheep, the ones who are in, the ones that were blessed with the ability to put faith in Jesus Christ. We didn't choose ourselves. He chose us. And as a result, we have access to the kingdom. And it says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Did you notice it didn't say, uh, come blessed of my Father and get. Blessed of my Father and take. Take. No, it's inherit. And what does that mean? That means we're family. That means we are sons and daughters of the Father. And as sons and daughters of the Father, we have access to the inheritance of everything that is His, through Christ. And now what it says here, God has prepared those things for us from the foundation of the earth. I love 1 Peter 3, 5. It confirms both of these points. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you hear it? God caused you to be saved, not your good works. And your lack of good works will not condemn you. If you're a sheep, you're a sheep by God's choice, not by your works. You gotta get that. Well, what's the destiny of the saved? The destiny of the saved is an inheritance with God in heaven, in the kingdom. It's a blessing of the Father. Well, I'm wondering Why is it as his right hand? Did you know what the Latin word for left and right are? The Latin word for right is called dexter, that's the word. The Latin word for left is sinister. Does that sound a little bad to you? It should. Throughout scripture, throughout biblical history, the right hand represented the hand of blessing, of honor, and of acceptance. The left hand, sinister, was the hand of dishonor and rejection. God didn't make a mistake when he said he put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. That's very symbolically true of everything throughout Scripture. That's why the Scriptures say, what? At his right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. That's a hand of blessing. So he's put these sheep and goats on the right and the left. If you're not on the right side of this scene yet, you can be before you leave today. In fact, you can miss this scene completely except for a spectator. See, I have to tell you these things. Why? Because Jesus could come today. Everybody who knows him right now, they're rescued, they're out. They're out. And they'll be back as spectators. But everybody else is left behind. And they have to go through the tribulation. And they will have to face this scene if they're still alive. And I don't want you to face it, not knowing that you can put your faith in Christ, even before this scene is over. Well, the destiny of the unsaved. When Christ returns at a second coming, those who had rejected Christ, refused to put their faith in Christ, did not want this Christ, will now find it too late. When Jesus comes again, the clock stops. Those who have rejected Christ will be rejected eternally. There's no second chance. And he will say this in verse 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, the rejected side, the goats, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a gruesome scene. See, Christ is not condemning them because they had no good works. We see that, right, in verses 42 to 45. It says, for I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't. But That's not the reason they're a goat. The reason they're a goat is because they refuse to put faith in Christ. That's the goatness, not the lack of works. The second thing we wanna see here is that this separation, the righteous go into an eternal condition with Christ of joy and hope and peace and delight and love. The condition of the unsaved, of the goats, is just as eternal, but it will be a lasting place of torment, of pain, of heartache, of loneliness, of despair. And so why does Jesus throughout scripture continue to tell us so much about hell and judgment? Is it because he's really looking forward to it? No! He's telling us as a loving, concerned savior, I don't want you to go there! That's why he's telling us again, There's going to be a time when you're going to be judged and all your unrighteousness and rejection of Christ will get its due penalty. And I would spare you that. Wouldn't any loving parent actually even almost scream at their child to stay off of a freeway on foot to preserve their life? You bet they would. Do not do it! That's Jesus teaching about hell. He doesn't want us to go there. Why? Because he loves you. He came to rescue us. That's the miracle. Not that he came, he could come. He could have come and judged all of us on day one. The first time he came. We would all have been guilty and we would all have been deserving. But he didn't. He came in mercy and grace and love and through his own death purchased our redemption. Wow. Well, what's the meaning of our service? Jesus now at this scene At this time, he's saying, what is commendable to me? What stood out in my mind as a savior of those who were rescued, of those who were mine? What stood out in my mind? Is anybody in here a little surprised at what's on the list and what's not? Uh, It didn't include a lot of the things that we think are really important. It doesn't say, I commend you for the number of hours you read your Bible daily. I I, I commend you for how many Bible verses you memorized. I I commend you for walking in the Spirit and resisting temptation and putting on the armor of God. I commend you for your endless prayers. None of those things are in Jesus' short list. Should that tell us something? I think it should. Because what are all those things for? Those are all valuable things, people. I don't want anyone to shirk on praying, shirk on reading your Bible, getting to know our Savior, but all of these things have a purpose. If a person was doing a lot of exercise, let's say pro athlete, they exercised every day, they ate really well, they they ran speed laps, they did everything, but they never got on the field. What good does all that exercise do? To show off your body? I mean, Jesus was perfectly good when he showed up. He didn't have to do any improvement plan, didn't do any exercise, spiritual exercise to show how he could be better. What did he do? He said he came to serve, not to be served, not to show off his goodness, not to show off his omniscience, not to show off his excellent way to teach. None of those things were his agenda. He didn't come to get gooder, he came to serve. And that's what all of these things that we do are for. There's a purpose for our righteousness, for our maturity, for our holiness. It gives not only a great picture to the world around us, but it also, what? It enables us to serve him. And that's what he says is commendable. That's why he came. Well, let's look at some of the things. The king can't recount six ways the righteous took care of him. But please note that this isn't an exhaustive list of things that God will reward. He's giving examples here. And I want us to pick up some of the themes of his examples because this is the heart of true service. Because I think some of us might think service is those things we can do easily, we can do with our spare time, uh, will cost us nothing, Um, it'll be something he's gifted us really well to do, and it'll just be like falling off a log. Those are like five big myths. Jesus is gonna tell you what service really is like and that you should be gearing up to do this. Well, the first one, what did he say? He said, the first thing is they took care of him when he was hungry. And I notice all these things and I'm gonna be talking later about it, but he described this as, he didn't say, you took care of the needy when they were hungry. Did you notice that? He's not saying that. He says, you took care of me when I was hungry. Interesting, But we have to come here and say, why is this one of the services? Well, besides the fact that it's covered in James, right? James says, if, if you see someone that needs food and clothing and you do nothing for them, what good is that? So Jesus here is saying, hey, you stepped out beyond just observing and feeling sorry for somebody. You actually did something about it. But let's look at the five things. The first thing, in this time, there's no Safeway, right? There's no Costco. You don't get a month's supply of whatever it is you want. There's no refrigerator to put it in. If you gave away food, you're probably giving away your ability to live the next day. It took sacrifice and trust to give away your food. This is not an easy thing for them and it should be something we think about. So if it's not costing us anything, if it's not a sacrifice to us, it's probably not the type of thing he's talking about. Some of the things we like to do in our spare time by tossing a little money somewhere that never even we miss, that's not really service or giving. Well the second way he said, give them something to drink when he was thirsty. This dispels the myth of work. To get a drink in this time was not going to East Bay Mud, turning the valve and getting some water. This is going down to a well that was in the middle of town walking a mile, lowering a bucket, raising a bucket pouring it in a bigger bucket, putting it on your shoulder and taking it back Giving them some of your water means it was sweat work Service is sweat work If you're thinking about the easy street life of service, it doesn't exist Jesus is commending sweat work Well, the third way is when they took him in as a stranger and took care of him now, we might think, well, hospitality, everybody in the church is supposed to be hospitable, right? You've got to know that if you actually entertain someone in your home, there's a point in your mind when it starts being very inconvenient. When are they going home? <laughs> right? I mean, there's a, you have to know that I've got more towels to wash now. I've got sheets to wash. I've got more food to buy. I got, this is really not easy, it's inconvenient. Service to Christ can be inconvenient. Do you know that? Serving doesn't have to be convenient. It doesn't have to fit your perfect schedule. Oh, I can fit you in between three and four. No, it might be inconvenient. You might have to let go of something that you liked to do to do something that must be done. Service could be inconvenient. How about this one? I'm gonna skip over clothes. We know that God was the first person to provide clothes for anybody on earth and for those that don't like wearing fur you have to get over it because God that's the first thing he gave us he, he put some animal skin on somebody and I'm sure somebody's going to be upset about it and PETA or something but that's God's plan we should do the same but the fifth way they visit him is when he was sick being sick in Palestine there's no Kaiser there's no zoot suits and masks to visit someone who is sick means what? You could get sick. They needed emotional encouragement. They needed support. They needed courage, but they needed things done for them. I mean, like they might have just thrown up, or they they might have messes that you do get a somebody else to do that. Ah, service can be messy. Service could affect your own livelihood and health. Service actually is important and it might be and Jesus is saying when you, you took your own life and held it in low esteem and you humbled yourself and you helped. That's service. And the last one is they came when he was in prison being in prison was not a good thing to be at those times. If people didn't come take care of you they didn't have the state welfare system. If you didn't bring them food they didn't have it. If you didn't bring them a blanket or a coat, they didn't have it. That's why Paul writes, right? Tell them to bring along my coat. It's cold. Okay? So now, what else might happen in prison? Well, this is after the tribulation period, right? So what could happen? Do you think aligning yourself to the government officials and the beast would be a good thing to come visit a Christian in prison? What would that say? It's not, not only is being in a place like that dangerous, but now you're saying I'm a sympathizer of this person. He's saying you have to say, God, if you want me to go down by government's control by sympathizing with those of yours that are hurting, I'm willing to do it. This is not just being kind to somebody and, and looking through the glass from a distance through a camera and nobody knows it's you. This means you're willing to risk to do God's will and serve. See, scripture is full, and I don't have zero time to cover it, but there's over 30 commands that where God says we're gonna demonstrate this kind of loving service to one another. He commands it, not suggests it. He says love one another. Now some of us think that that's an option. Serve one another. Bear each other's burdens what I mean I have to it's a command to not do it is sin so what are we thinking we're thinking that all service must be low risk low work no sacrifice not it's got to be totally convenient Jesus dispels all those in one little quick summary true service to me will be inconvenient it will cost it will be risky it will require sweat It is important because the one being ministered to, he goes to the final thing, is who? It's me. You're helping me. He didn't say the world or my my Christian buddies are gonna be served. It's the same thing that he told Saul in Acts, right? Chapter nine, verse four. Saul's been knocked off his donkey. He's blind. A voice from heaven tells him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? Is that what it said? No, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Well, he never laid a hand on Jesus, but because he laid a hand on his children, on all of you and me as brothers and sisters, Jesus said it was the same as laying a hand on me. In the same way, good or bad, what you don't do to a brother is done or not done to Jesus or for Jesus. And do you notice something what it says? It says, when I was thirsty. Do you ever see Jesus as in need? When I was hungry. When I was naked. When I was in prison. We don't see Jesus that way at all, do we? But he's saying as much as he relates to us so tightly that whenever any one of us is in those conditions, he feels it the same. And he says, look, when you serve them, you're serving me. We should know and know that the extent we serve one another is the extent we truly love and serve Jesus. Jesus is the face behind everything we should do. Do you see that? We're not serving one another. We're serving Jesus, King Jesus, returning King Jesus. And he says, I'm keeping a record. And that's really remarkable. So let's just look at the end here because there's one other thing he said we should do. We love to serve the important, the famous, the beautiful, the wealthy. Well, they don't really need lots, do they? But if we can step in and help, we love it. But Jesus says, no, to the least of these. Well, who were the least of these in his time? That was the converted prostitutes, the Samaritans, the children, the widows, the disenfranchised. He says, when you do it to one of these, you're doing it to me. In fact, you're doing it in a way that there's a, there's a pattern to them. One, not only do they need it because they have no way of paying you back. Do you serve in a sense of getting paid back either with a pat on the back? If someone doesn't say thank you, do you quit serving? If, somebody, if you loan somebody money, Scripture says loan it as if you never want to see it again. That's what it says. Do you expect to get paid back for your ministry and your service? He's saying no. When you serve the least of these, none of those people can pay you back. If they're hungry, that means they have no food to give you. If they're in prison, they can't get out of prison to go visit you. They have no way of giving back to you. That's one. Number two, it's equally important is that uh, they're outcasts, they're not loved, and we need to look at them and say, who around here would we pass over if we could? Ignore if we could. Those are the people that Jesus wants to seek out. That's who he sought out, and that's who we should seek out. Well, there's a last part here, and I'll leave you with three things. Three things. Lessons hopefully we will all take from Jesus' words. First, one truly saved people will humbly serve others. It's a truth. And if you're not serving, you need to go back to step one are you truly saved? Because truly saved people humbly serve others. That's what Jesus' words said. What, what was his example, his hallmark? He said, look, look out of mine. Here's how I know you're a sheep. Can I tell you're a sheep by what you do? Around here. Could we tell you're a sheep by how you behave here? That you humbly serve others. That's Jesus' measure. It's not your own personal Bible study. It's your service. Well, the second thing here is that we must realize that uh, Ministry is not all in the church. I mean, you don't need a ministry to be hospitable to one another, do you? If you see one another that has a need, like they need food or they need clothing, we don't need to have a ministry for you to want to do that, right? I'm hoping. But you know, the body of Christ, us as a church, is a body itself that has needs. And a body doesn't function well unless those needs are met, right? And so, what ways do we minister to the body? Well, around church, there's things called ministries. That's just a fancy term for ways to serve, formal ways to serve. Well, what if do we think we need people to help usher and greet people in Jesus' name? So, as they walk through the door, you greet them like you would greet Jesus? Yes, we need those kind of people. How about worship team? I mean, it's fun. I I enjoy them leading in worship. I I get drawn to the throne because they sing the songs they sing and they worship the way they do. But you don't have to sing a note to be part of the worship team. Did you know that? There's people in the background that put words on screens. They keep lights on. They have the mic that works so God's powerful word can be heard. Who do you think does that? Elves? Elves? There are no elves here. There are servants. We need you. And if that's what God has called you to do, you don't have to sing, but you can work. And it may not even get all that rewarded. People don't even know. The people behind the scenes all rarely get recognized. Only people on the stage. God recognizes it. God keeps score. God will reward. Well, how about... uh, Children's ministry. Um, did you you know that if you're a teacher of a child, did you know that you can offer the water, the living water to a child, and the bread of life, that the hungry child, a thirsty child, can know Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when we do that? Jesus says He's the one that's thirsty. He's the one that's hungry and we've actually met his need. That's what we've done. We're not not worried about whether the person we're serving is young or old, a widow or not, what color they are. It doesn't matter. Jesus is behind them all. That's what Jesus is wanting us to see. Larry talked about it last week. I think some of us are more like people who occasionally do servant-like things versus we are people who are being servants. Because a person who's being a servant has this second attitude. And that is they're on the lookout for unmet needs in the body. I think most of us walk into church like this. Don't let me see a need. Don't let me see a need. I really don't wanna see a need right now. But a true servant is actually on the lookout of how they can serve the ones they're serving. And I think a person who is being a servant will do that. And I hope and I pray that this church will one day be a place where finding an unmet need that somebody has not already jumped on will be like really hard. It'll be like a bunch of piranha looking for that last piece of meat on the bone and nobody's got anything because they're all hungry to serve. That's what Jesus wants in us, to be attitude of servant. Be a servant. Don't just occasionally do a servant thing. Be a servant. Be on the lookout. And I think some of us actually await for a need to land in our lap. I can't avoid it. It's like a boulder that fell on me. God doesn't want us to have a boulder fall on us. He wants us to be people that are always scanning the room and sometimes we need help and I'm telling you, I am a person who needs help. I've been with people that can look at the same person as I've talked to them and they know right what to do to help that person and I'm going, wow, that was a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? It's not that I wouldn't do it if I thought of it. I just don't think of it. Has anybody ever been there? They see somebody do something for someone else and go, wow, that was cool. But then they go, why didn't I think of that? That's what I want us to pray for. Pray that God would make us servants with eyes to see the real need. The real need. The third principle, the last principle, is service to the body of Christ, to our brothers and sisters, to his brothers and sisters, is considered by King Jesus as a personal service to him. I think this should be transformational to you. This should actually be so revelatory that you're not serving just me. In fact, when the people heard that Jesus said this, what was their response? Huh? When did we see you like that? They didn't remember half the things they'd done. I think that's a sign of a true servant. A true servant is not keeping score every day. Well, I helped the master with this. I helped the master with that. I helped the master with... They're not keeping score all day. They're just doing their job. But it says that God keeps the score. And he will not forget even a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name. When you get there, not one deed, you might have forgotten 95% of everything you've ever done for Christ throughout your life. Wonderful. Jesus has not. Jesus has not. And he will reward each one of us for what we do in the same measure as we gave and served. That's a comforting thing, but I think it's an amazing thing that if we could change our minds, change our attitudes, so the person walking through the door, how would I greet them when I know them? Or how would I greet them if Jesus was walking through that door? Would I do it differently? Would you? If you're driving by somebody in the parking lot that continues to have car problems with their rundown vehicle, and they got bald tires, and it's a mess, and you know, oh no, just like seeing somebody at the gas station walking toward you. I need money. Right? You, you have that same attitude. Ooh. okay? Ooh. If that was Jesus' car, what would you do? I bet we would be falling over each other to see if you could help Jesus out. That's how he wants us to be with each other. Because behind it is him. Every one of us. Well, let me just end with this. Jesus will remember your service. And your service might take sweat. It might take risk. It might be costly. It might be inconvenient. But he remembers every act of service that you'll ever do. And he wants to give you joy in the service because you know, I'm actually getting to serve the God and the Savior that rescued me. I get a chance to give back to the one who needs nothing. And the way I do that is by serving you and this body. I think it should inspire us and light us up that even on our dark day, we know the person behind the service that we do is not another human. It's the king of the universe. He will reward. Well, let's pray. Father, I just hope that we can remember these things, that it will change us today, that truly saved people will humbly serve one another. You're not impressed with our pedigree and our learning and our prayer life if it doesn't result in service. This is what you said mattered at this very crucial scene. What really mattered, what really testified that we actually know Christ is the fact that we actually Humbled ourselves and served one another. Father, would you also let us know that the truly saved must be on the lookout to meet needs? Help me today, help others today see what you see when you look at your children. That the smiling faces that typically hide what really needed, you'd let us penetrate and you'd let us be anxious to see how we can be hospitable to care, to send an encouraging word to support, to bear all the things that you've called us to do kick us into action Father may may we run out of things to do because there's too many servants and not enough needs and Father the truly saved know and are motivated and inspired that Jesus I don't know why but you've given me an opportunity to serve you by serving them and everything done for them, you say, actually, you credit to me just like I did it for you and that you'll never forget one thing. Help me, Father, to serve with you in mind in everything I do because we truly do serve the Lord first and then one another. Bless our time. Help us that are not serving to get in the game. Stop exercising all the time on the side, but actually join the team. We have a lot of potentially physically fit people on the sidelines, but have never entered the game. May they get in the game. And Father, for those that don't know you that are a goat right now, would you rescue, would you show them your favor? Would you put the Father's blessing on them that they might believe and trust in Christ? And they will have blessing and the kingdom forevermore. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.